Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Zatarans, maker of New Orleans pantry staples like Creole mustard, fish fry, and jambalaya mix since 1889. Recipes and more at Zatarans.com. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Every July, thousands of visitors from all over the world beat a path to steamy New Orleans for the annual Tales of the Cocktail. As Tales kicks off its 17th year, we look at how the organization evolved recently under new leadership and has a whole new mission. We begin with Caroline Rosen, who came on board as executive director in 2018. She shares the foundation's revamped vision. Then, cocktail superstar Don Lee joins us to discuss Tales of the Cocktails Grants Program, which annually allocates hundreds of thousands of dollars to organizations making a difference. Don's also one of the industry leaders behind a new trend that has bartenders mixing drinks with little to no alcohol, shifting their focus to flavor. We learn about his Greenwich Village Craft Cocktail Bar, where chef-turned-mixologist Bobby Murphy's creative talents are on display. And finally, we talk with Eddie Simeon and Tobin Ludwig of Hella Cocktail Company. Their new product, Canned Bitters and Soda, has been making a splash as a great mixer and cocktail alternative. We're mixing it up on this week's Louisiana Eats. My name is Caroline Rosen, and I'm the executive director of the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation. Since coming on board as executive director of Tales of the Cocktail in 2018, Caroline Rosen and the organization's new leadership have really been shaking things up. With a different format as a nonprofit, Tales has clarified its mission and changed the tone of its annual conference, placing more focus on social responsibility and health in the service industry. Caroline joined us in the studio to talk about the new direction of Tales of the Cocktail and her role there. Caroline, how in the world did this incredible thing happen? How did you become the executive director of Tales of the Cocktail? Oh, Poppy, I feel like we need a drink and like some food. I mean, I it's been such a whirlwind over the last year and a half. And I can say, you know, I've always loved New Orleans. Uh, I first came to live in New Orleans back in 2003, and my passion has been in hospitality nonprofits. I'm just very lucky to carry on the Tales Foundation torch and be able to live in the greatest city in the world and be a part of the greatest hospitality community in the world. I know that people would love to hear a little catch up on the many, many ways that 
what we knew as Tales of the Cocktail several years ago has grown and changed and morphed. Tell me about the transformation. Absolutely. So Tales of the Cocktail is the annual gathering in July, which I consider it to be the premier gathering of spirits professionals and hospitality professionals across the world that have uh, a drive to know more about cocktails, spirits, and the people that make them. We came in uh, as a new team on February 16th of not this year, but the year before. So that was 2018. And what we really wanted to do was focus on a way to give back to our spirits and hospitality community here throughout the nation and really throughout the globe. And we committed to educating, advancing, and supporting through our foundation. So Tales is known for our fantastic uh, event that happens every July here in New Orleans. But now we're doing so much more than just that. We're doing grant workshops. We're doing grant giving. Um, we've created a whole Beyond the Bar program, which looks at the whole bartender and tackles tough topics like uh, inclusivity to sustainability. And we're really just trying to be a resource. Well, you've also taken Tales of the Cocktail on the road and in a nonprofit way, too. Absolutely. So something that we did um, as the foundation this year is we do an event called Tales on Tour. And we do we take an education, we take our partnerships, we take day of service, and we take it on the road. So it's like a mini Tales. And we actually decided to go to San Juan, Puerto Rico this year. And it was so beautiful because... As New Orleanians, we were able to connect with them in such a way, uh, rebuilding, and especially not, I think, as New Orleanians that lived through, through Katrina, there's so much more that needs to happen after that initial push. And our goal was to put an international spotlight on Puerto Rico, to bring bartenders, spirits professionals from all over the world there to continue to see the vibrancy of their culture and their food and their cocktails while also giving back. And I think we were able to accomplish that. You must have some really one great shining memory of <sighs> a moment when you thought, oh, I'm, I'm having a cocktail that makes a difference. Yeah, so we did. Um, we worked with our friends at La Factoria. And if you ever go to San Juan, you have to go to old San Juan and go meet our buddies at La Factoria. It's this beautiful bar. It's, it's very nonchalant. I don't even think they have a sign outside the door. <laughs> but it feels like New Orleans. You walk into this one main bar, and the way they explain it is they were like, we got so busy, we bought the thing next door, and we knocked a hole in the wall, and there's another bar. And so there's about 12 different bars throughout this. And as a Tales Foundation, we kicked off the week with a welcome party with all of our brands coming together to celebrate the beginning of Tales on Tour. And I was walking through the bars and I kind of got into the back and all of a sudden um, these drums came out of nowhere and musicians and everyone was singing and dancing. And this is something that people do in Puerto Rico, a lot like our second lines here. Yeah. And I was having the best daiquiri of my life, and I was surrounded by people that I already knew and loved. I just met someone really interesting that was from Canada, and I had someone I'd met from Thailand, and we were all standing there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely such a perfect moment that I'm getting to experience so much of Puerto Rico with all of these wonderful people with the best cocktail I've ever had. 
Well, you all are making a difference in the lives of hospitality professionals. And I was wondering if you could go into depth with maybe some examples because amazing good does come out of it. Well, Poppy, thank you for that. I don't I don't know if we are directly doing wonderful things, but I will definitely say that we are here to convene. And one of the things that I'm most proud of that the Tales Foundation has done is we've really created this Beyond the Bar program. And during Tales, it manifests itself in two different ways. Um, first of all, this year, if you look at our, our seminars, and that's what we're known for, we have three different tracks, and it's all based in the Royal Senesta. And we have the culture of the cocktail, business, and beyond the bar. So I'm really excited to have that. But we also have a whole space at the New Orleans Athletic Club that is free and open to the public that really celebrates the whole bartender. And celebrate saying you can still be in this industry and not drink or you can be in this industry and have troubles. And this is the space where we're going to get some of the best people from around the world to discuss these topics. It was so impactful last year, and I'm just excited to see it grow this year. Will Crescent Care be back this they year? They will. Uh, so we do some free health care screenings. There are also some free different testings. We also offer a free Narcan training, and it actually sold out last year. We ended up doing another session, so I think we've doubled that this year. So Narcan training is actually uh, training around when you see someone in your establishment that may or may not be under the influence of um, drugs. This is a way that we can start training our bar staff on what to do when you see that type of situation and how you can potentially help save someone's life. We have a closed-door session with Kat Kinsman. They actually don't allow media in this, and it's supposed to be a place where peers can sit down and in a safe space discuss some of the tough topics that we, especially being in the hospitality and beverage industry, come across for ourselves, our staff, and our customers. We just want this to be a wonderful place where everybody can have a home. And with scholarships, what sort of advancements have you seen affected through Tales of the Cocktail Investment? Yeah, so we kicked off last year with our grants process. So we were able to announce our first cohort of grant recipients. And this year, we will kick off Tales by honoring our new 2019 cohort of grant recipients. Well, could you give me some specific examples now that we're a whole year later? Yeah. So you have certainly seen some of the grant investments bear fruit. What's happened in the year? Wow. So, I mean, we're still seeing so much progress, um, but a few of mine that I can report on are we actually were able to give a grant to Camper English, and he has a website called cocktailsafe.org. And this was really important because there was no really definitive website where bartenders could use as a resource to make sure that they were, as they were creating, because Bartenders are artists. They're always creating and pushing the limits. But there wasn't a definitive place to go to make sure what you were doing was safe. (laughs) So Camper really took his grant and was able to kind of create that one-stop shop. Like, let's not put activated charcoal in drinks. This is what it does. (laughs) So that's been a huge hit. We've been very fortunate to see the New York Times cover it. And again, as it grows in popularity, I can see more and more happening with Camper and his efforts there. We also had a wonderful gentleman from San Francisco, and he brought together um, one of my favorite grants, and it was called the Pen Project. 
And as we listened so much to our bartending community, what we heard was it's very customary for uh, a patron to buy a bartender a drink, say, thank you so much. It's like a tip. You can do that. But more and more in this day and age, we're really lucky to have people that don't drink because they don't want to. Maybe they're pregnant. It doesn't matter, but it's becoming so much more acceptable not to imbibe. So he created a pen that will be launching at Tails, and this pen signals I'm not drinking tonight. So maybe it's just tonight, maybe it's every night, it doesn't matter, but we really want to help or he really wants to do marketing around that to make it a very cool sign of, I appreciate it. Let's not have that awkward conversation, not drinking this evening. So those are just a few of our, I believe, 11 or 12 (laughs) that we were able to give out last year. That is just remarkable. Caroline, thank you so much for dropping by to visit with us and I'll see you at Tales of the Cocktail. Poppy, thank you so much for having me. It's always a delight. That was Caroline Rosen, Executive Director of the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation. Coming up next, we talk with Don Lee to learn more about the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation's grant program. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923, and from Ralph's on the Park, overlooking City Park's ancient oaks. Serving locally sourced Gulf seafood, meats, and farm fresh produce, all presented with a global spin by Chef Chip Flanagan. Lunch, dinner, Saturday and Sunday brunch and private parties at 900 City Park Avenue in Mid-City. My name is Don Lee. I'm a member of the Tales of the Cocktail Grants Committee for the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation, and I am one of the owners of Existing Conditions in New York City. Now in its second year, the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation's grant program allocates hundreds of thousands of dollars to organizations that educate, advance, and support the spirits community. Its grants committee is governed by some of the industry's most respected representatives, and that includes Don Lee of New York's Existing Conditions. I asked Don about the new grants program and the new direction Tails has taken over the last few years. Tails has always been a 
thing that is in flux, always something that's trying to be better. It was before the new ownership, and it is now and even more so with the new ownership. Every year before, we tried to make Tails better for all the guests, all the attendees, all the people involved. I think the, the biggest difference between then and now is that before, we just tried to put on a good show. And now we're trying to put on a good show that really is listening to the community, what the community needs, and then to give back in a way that the community really feels is going to do the most good. I'm particularly fascinated by this wellness element that is being put forward because the hospitality industry is renowned for lack of support services. There's very little access to health insurance, certainly mental health. It's really important that we make every part of our lives, whether it's our work or our lives at home, sustainable. And it's just something that we need to do professionally within the hospitality industry. For so many years, this has been a place for people who don't fit in other places to come and find refuge. But in that refuge, we didn't have any of these services, as you, as you said. We don't have regular access to health care or to mental health care in particular. But it's something that we should have. It's something that we need to advocate for for ourselves. And if no one is going to give it to us from the outside, we have to find a way to provide it for ourselves internally. And that's what we're trying to do now. We are more awake. We are more aware of the issues that we have. And we can no longer just keep our head in the sand and not deal with the issues that we have. Neil Bodenheimer said something very interesting to me the other day that I've been turning over in my mind. I am sure that you would agree with me that this uh, whole craft cocktail movement is still at a very young age overall in the world. And Neil pointed out to me that this has been an industry fueled by a lot of money, um, received with a great deal of success, and that perhaps what we're seeing and experiencing here is the time that the craft cocktail industry grows up. To a certain extent, I would agree with that. But I would also say that the issue isn't so much the craft cocktail industry needs to grow up. It's the fact that the craft cocktail industry is still only less than 1% of the larger industry at large. So if we say that you know we need to be a better example for ourselves, that's fine, but we also need to think not only about the craft cocktail industry, but for all the bars that are out there, for all the restaurants that are out there, to be a better example for everybody. And yes, we have been very privileged in that we have the attention of big brands. Big brands want to spend money at these top accounts, and it is prestigious for them to say that their product is being used at these best bars in the world. If we could turn that focus into, hey, yes, these are great bars, but the same issues that these best bars have are the issues that the worst bars have. And even worse, we need to raise everybody up. We need to make sure that everyone has health care. Everyone has access to mental health care. Everyone is aware of these issues. Everyone needs to be responsible about drinking and taking care of their patrons. This is something that, you know, maybe we are getting grown up uh, about in the small 1%, but it's, we need to bring this to everybody. And that means that we need to care when someone is depressed. We need to care when somebody has been overserved. We just need to care. And we can't just look at each other as, oh, that's not me. That's not my friend. That's not my family. That's not my industry. We are all people. We need to recognize everybody's humanity and all take care of each other. Don, tell me a little bit about your work with the Grants Committee and what you all are doing and what good you hope will come of this. 
The Grants Committee, it's a new thing, started with the new foundations aspect of Tales of the Cocktail. We have been given a, a huge seed fund by the Solomon Group, a budget of 250000 that we're looking to give away to the right people. And that was kind of a phase one, just tell us what you want to do. And then we went to a phase two, we said, okay, that's a great idea, but now show us how you're going to execute. How are these dollars going to be used? Who's going to receive them? How many people are going to impact? What is this really going to do? And from that, we were able to create a, a final selection of a few people who will receive uh, that first round of seed funding to help them and to get them going on their projects. Some of them are people who are already have a foundation, who already have a, a 501c3 and are trying to just get extra money to amplify what they're already doing. There's some people that are looking to receive just the basic, you know, acknowledgement that they're doing something so that they can get the stamp from Tails to say, oh, this is legitimate. And so they can get additional funding and help from other people. So it's all sorts of interesting people doing different things that hopefully the Tails umbrella can just give them a little extra boost. One of the challenges of the Grants Committee also is trying to impact the most number of people. There's been amazing applications where I know that with the money, this person can impact 10 people. The question is, can they impact 100? Can they impact 1,000? There is an amazing Pilates instructor who has done amazing work with, with the bar community already. She has helped people you know, who can't bartend anymore be able to get up out of their beds and go to work and function every day again. And her work is so singular that it really requires her to physically spend time with a person. How can we translate that to more than one person, you know, more than 10 people, more than 100 people that can attend a seminar? And we're, we're going to work with her. We're going to figure out a way that we can make this something that is scalable. That was Don Lee of the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation's Grants Committee. We're not done with him yet, though. As one of the owners of the bar Existing Conditions in New York, Don has been part of another movement, a sea change in the craft cocktail world that's making the bar a more inclusive place for those on or off the wagon. Bartenders at existing conditions have shifted their focus from giving their guests a buzz in a glass to mixing up flavorful drinks that often contain little to no alcohol in them. Don told me what he's been doing to help promote this non-alcoholic revolution. The thing that we're doing is actually much bigger than simply how do we make non-alcoholic drinks. It's a bigger question of where do we spend our time? We want to create a space that's a safe space for people to spend their time. Everyone goes to work. Everyone has a home. Somewhere in between, you need that third space. And in the past, for many people, that was a church, a community center, maybe a bowling league, a basketball team, some place where they can just be loose, be themselves, be with their friends, somewhere where they don't have to worry about whether it's work or the, you know, the struggles at home. We want that to be our bar. We want our bar to be a third space, especially in New York City. Everyone is living in a tiny apartment. You can't entertain. So where do you go? Instead of bringing people to your living room, you meet people at bars, you meet people at restaurants. And in that same way, if you had a group of friends over at your apartment or your home, you'd want to make sure that everyone is comfortable, everyone's happy. And you're going to have people who are vegetarians or vegans. You're going to have people who drink, people who don't drink. Someone might be pregnant, someone might be on antibiotics. In that same way, if you come to our bar, it is your living room. And when you are hosting people, we want to make sure we have everything available for all types of people. And it's as inclusive as it can be. So how do you set out to do that? 
I think that the key thing when it comes to making non-alcoholic beverages is that you need to take them seriously. You need to take them as seriously, if not more seriously, than your alcoholic program. For us at Existing Conditions, the most expensive cocktails to make are the non-alcoholic cocktails. They're more expensive because to deliver the level of flavor, to deliver the kind of mouthfeel and a sensation of drinking without alcohol is very difficult. So in order to make something that doesn't taste like just a soda or a lemonade or just made with whatever syrups I had on hand, we have to be very intentional about a process. So we spend more money and more time on the non-alcoholic drinks than we do on the alcoholic drinks. We spend hours sourcing the right ingredients, processing them in the right way, making sure that they're shelf stable or they're frozen and they're, they keep for the amount of time we need them to. And then when you drink them, we want them to drink like a cocktail or like an alcoholic beverage. So for example, we'll have a drink that drinks like a dry white wine. It's just pear juice that we source from New Zealand at the moment because we need to get Comey's pears and they're not available in the United States fly them in, we juice them, we centrifuge them to remove all the particulates, then we infuse them with Mount Olympus tea. It's a sage-like herb from Greece, and it creates this dry wine-like sensation that we then carbonate. And then when you have it, it's like drinking sparkling white wine. And you don't chug it. You can't just down it like a lemonade. You want to sip on it. You can drink it at the same pace as your fellow alcohol drinkers. So whatever we're starting with, we don't start with the, the, the technical stuff. We start with the idea. I want to make a sparkling white wine. I want it to be pear. I want it to have that floral note. I want it to be similar to a cider. And then how do I make it like a white wine? Well, a white wine has normally an ABV of so much. It has this much sugar. It has this much acid. So then we can adjust the acidity and the sugar so that it has the mouthfeel of the sugar and acid profile of a white wine. Don Lee co-owner of Existing Conditions in New York City. Now that we're acquainted with Existing Conditions, Don Lee's inventive new bar, we turn to one of the bartenders who's creating and serving up sophisticated non-alcoholic drinks at this Greenwich Village watering hole. Bobby Murphy's approach to his craft is all about inclusivity. He makes sure to take all patrons into account when he works behind the bar. When Bobby visited our studio, he began his story by describing how he got into non-alcoholic mixology. Well, it, it kind of all dates back in Chicago, actually. I took on a job where I was trying to be a chef and uh, at a, a very famous restaurant, and uh, there's so many applicants there, and I didn't quite have the credentials to work in a uh, quote-unquote Michelin-starred restaurant at that point. Uh, a couple weeks into it, they asked if I'd ever done cocktails before or non-alcoholic stuff, and I kind of, you know, said, of course I have. Of course I have, <laughs> a lot of, like a lot of people in life. Um, but developed a non-alcoholic program, uh, really fell in love with it. It was not only because it was a job that made a lot of sense to me, but like making non-alcoholic drinks in a restaurant uh, is a very, very fun activity because, you know, when you're a small AA, you're always trying to match and pair the, the best wine to something. But with a non-alcoholic component or something that you make, you literally can match things 
as much as you want. I mean, you can make perfect pairings. You can make extensions of food. You can counteract, make parallel, unparalleled drinks. So there's a lot of advantage of like being able to make non-alcoholic stuff because literally you can curtail whatever type of drink you want to make to pair with it. I think restaurants now in the past five years have like picked it up um, extremely well. And now it's like if you are something in the upper tier of a restaurant, like I think it's almost expected. Um, if Even if they don't have it readily on hand, they'll usually make you something. Um, but most really great, you know, focused restaurants in, in major cities will, you know, by request, if not have products around to, to pair with everything they have. I would love for you to walk me through the building of one of your favorite or most successful non-alcoholic drinks. Do you ever drink Krug champagne? Of course. I, I made this late season uh, peach non-alcoholic sparkler and uh, think of like Krug, but like made from peaches, like super dry. And it was just consistently like such a beautiful thing and people loved it, obviously. Um, but yeah, sparkling drinks always seem to work very well on a non-alcoholic like advantage. Well, don't you think that it, the sparkling drink has the same sensory, the smell, the taste, it's hitting your palate, your nose, easier and better. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and I think, you know, like for me, um, you know, I've gotten hooked on like sparkling water over the past couple of years. And it's now like a thing where, you know, like when I don't want to drink and I don't have time or I'm just simply too busy to like have more than a few drinks in a busy week, like I will have those drinks and then switch to sparkling beverages and like it it gives something to me. Like it just gives a satisfaction of like not drinking something plain. Like it feels like I'm having something. Um, as far as other drinks go, like I think the hardest part about making non-alcoholic beverages is like honestly giving them balance is not necessarily the hardest thing, but like giving them a weight, you know, the things that make alcohol taste good are the things that are the worst for you, you know, conagers, um, phenols, esters, like all those things that are in development of alcohol, you just don't find without fermentation or find out um, through distillation. So the biggest thing with those two is that some of that represents like body. And so when you make non-alcoholic drinks, like one of the harder things is like finding ways to make things have that mouthfeel, um, which we've, we've done more than a couple of things to, to help on that and figuring out, you know, things that like, uh, especially for people that are like, you know, pregnant or something and they still like the idea and the enjoyment of alcohol. And we'll go back to, you know, like finding things that represent, uh, you know, tannin and acid like it would we if you're like someone that's into wine or and things of that sort. So it's definitely something that I think that's like on the forefront. It's, it's already here. I mean, it has been for a while. I believe it's also time for the bar owner and the restaurateur to perhaps take notice that if you can offer someone something more than club soda, a Coke or a glass of water, this is something that can be good for your bottom line. So no oh. matter what you're spending developing these things, I believe the payoff is there. 100%. And uh, inclusion is huge. You know, like making people feel like they're a part of something, even when they don't necessarily have that same feeling of like being able to participate like everybody else is like the greatest thing ever. And that kind of runs back to hospitality. But um, a real good like um, show of this was like this winter I was back home in Iowa and I was at my buddy as an annual Christmas party and we went over there and his sister wasn't drinking all night and uh, love her to death. She's kind of like a sister to me. And uh, it's like kind of connecting the dots. And I'm like, you're definitely pregnant, aren't you? And she's like, yep. 
like, yes, I am. And I was like, well, you should have told me. I'll, I'll make you some stuff. And so, you know, as fast and easy as my buddy has, like, 10 different types of LaCroix stocked in the fridge, start reading, like, the pantries, like, finding teas, like, things. I probably had, like, six different drinks for her. And the end of the night, she just kept hugging me, kept hugging me, and was like, <laughs> I would have left four hours ago. Like, uh-huh. she was like, I just would have, there would have been no point for me to stay. So it's like, you think about that, that's someone that may be sober in a, a setting, too. It's like, well, what's the point in really going to a place if I'm not going to drink and I'm going to have a club soda while everybody else is having fun and I don't feel like I'm a part of that atmosphere? So, yes, I think it's I think it's about building places that aren't just geared to one type of demographic anymore. And that's what we're trying to do at the new bar. It's like, just come. You know, it's a bar. We want it to be a bar, but we want to have some food, but we want it to be a place where anybody can come and you can have a drink, a couple of drinks, stay as long or as little as you want. It's really a breakthrough bar. This is a whole new thought when it comes to the traditional bar. Yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, we just want to make it a comfortable place that seems pretty casual for people. I think everybody's searching for like some sort of a home, especially in your neighborhood, that you feel comfortable in. And it's that space where, you know, it's kind of like an afterthought of like, we're just going to go to this place because we're comfortable there. We know we can get this, this, and this. In a timely matter, they know us, they're friendly, and that's like what we're trying to do but with with everybody. We want to make everybody feel like they're just very much welcome. Bobby, thank you so much for taking this time to talk with us. Absolutely. That was Bobby Murphy, bartender at Existing Conditions in New York City. fuss about alcohol? And what's up with those unfortunate hangovers? We'll discuss all that and more when we come right back. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content For Louisiana food lovers, our drag queen brunch craze continues with a Tales of the Cocktail Brunch at Tujac's Restaurant on Sunday, July 21st. For reservations and more information, contact Katie at Tujac's.com or call 504-358-4905. And then, help our friend, the one and only Amanda Toops, Yes, that's Isaac's wife. Celebrate her 40th birthday with a charity brunch at Toop South on Sunday, July 28th. Call Toop South at 504-304-2147 and reserve your seat to say happy birthday, Amanda. The food will be delicious. The queens will be lovely. The mimosas are bottomless. And remember, all of my Poppy's Pop-Up Drag Brunches benefit the Food for Friends program at Crescent Care and are appropriate for the whole family. So join us for a rollicking good time and do good while having some summertime fun. For more details, visit poppytooker.com. And now, 
back to Louisiana Eats. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Why all the fuss about alcohol? And what's up with those unfortunate hangovers? Alcohol is one of the most popular psychoactive substances in the world. It can have powerful effects on your mood and mental state. By reducing self-consciousness and shyness, alcohol may encourage people to act without inhibition. At the same time, it impairs judgment and promotes behavior people may end up regretting. Uh Uh-oh, sound like last year's Christmas party? There's a contingency that contends moderate alcohol consumption is good for your health. However, the truth is there is no strong research indicating that the benefits linked to moderate drinking are greater than those of not consuming any alcohol at all. Author Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl just published a new book entitled Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for the Cure. In it, he contends that without hangovers to stop us, we'd all be inebriated all the time. So what's going on in your body when you're hungover? Here's how he describes it. A headache, but so much more. Something terrible and growing. Like your brain has started to swell, pressing against your cranium, eyes pushing out of their sockets. You cradle your head in shaking hands to keep your skull from splitting. But in truth, your brain isn't growing at all. It is, in fact, drastically shrinking. As you slept, your body, bereft of liquid, had to siphon water from wherever it could, including from those three pounds of complex meat that hold your messed up mind. So now, your brain, in the awful act of shrinking, of contracting, is pulling at the membranes attached to your skull, causing all this pain, tugging at the fibers of your very being. Ouch! I don't want anything pulling at the membranes that literally hold my brain together in my skull. So match every alcoholic drink with a non-alcoholic one. Your brain will thank you. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. With the craft cocktail revival, we've seen the reemergence of long-forgotten traditions and flavors. One item that has seen a huge rise in popularity is bitters. Once considered a curious leftover from the 19th century, bitters is back as an essential cocktail ingredient. Hella Cocktail Company is a New York-based business known for their expansive line of bitters, but they've also been working to expand the role of bitters beyond being just one ingredient in a cocktail. Recently, 
they released a canned pre-made bitters and soda, a fizzy non-alcoholic elixir that's a perfect cocktail alternative. I had the opportunity to talk with two of the three founders of the Hella Cocktail Company about their company and their new product. I asked them to introduce themselves and tell us the story of how their company began. Hi, I'm Eddie Simeon, co-founder of Hella Cocktail Co. My name is Tobin Ludwig, co-founder of Hella Cocktail Co. And not joining us today is our third co-founder, Joe Mari Pinkard. Hella Cocktail Co. got its start a long time ago, maybe 2006 or 2007, when we were just making bitters as a hobby in Brooklyn, New York. Back then, we were a group of friends who loved getting together and sharing everything from cooking recipes to cocktail recipes and stories. And so bitters were a natural fit for us because not only did we like to make food things from scratch, but we also loved to drink cocktails. For us, bitters were a passion point and a really important part of not only cocktailing, but American history. And I think we really early on fell in love with this esoteric, underutilized ingredient that had this great story to tell in terms of the history of American imbibing. There are dozens and dozens, um, hundreds really at this point, of craft cocktail bitters brands in America, which is a fabulous thing. And the vast majority of them are smaller brands like ours, and they are complementary on the bar to these much larger, um, quote-unquote, household brand names in the world of bitters, of course the Peychaud, the Angostura's. So it makes sense that there would be so many great options. And Helicopter Co. really was one of the first to kind of ride this new wave of enthusiastic cocktailing. And our craft bitters were among the first several dozen, I'll say, that started to pop up in the 2000s that are telling this story, right, that's right in line with history. So we now have eight flavors of cocktail bitters, and each one tells its own story. Tobin, for people who may not know what bitters are, would you explain? Absolutely. So at the core, what bitters are, we like to call them a flavorful infusion of spices, fruit, and bitter root. And that's really what what bitters are all about. It's about capturing uh, botanical flavors, right? Um, Think of orange peels, lemon peels beautiful whole spices, cardamom pods, black pepper, cassia, chamomile. And then what makes them bitter is any number of different bittering agents, uh, mostly their bitter roots. So bitters today, they're just like salt and pepper for your drink. I think people are intimidated. One of the things that makes Helicoctyl Co. different is from, a, from early, early on, we realized that our customer, the person we were trying to reach, wasn't a fancy bartender, although they love our product too. It was anyone that that had a little curiosity in the kitchen, right? Anyone that loved to cook, anyone that loved to try their hand at making a cocktail. So we set out to create products that were really approachable 
and tell the story of bitters in a way that was really relatable, right? You don't need to wear suspenders or have a handlebar mustache <laughs> to use our product. All you need to do is love how to cook. Well, anybody who knows me knows that I love to drink bitters and soda. How in the world did you all figure that it was time to make, in essence, a bitter soft drink? Boy, we really love the way you asked that question because timing is everything, isn't it? When we set out to start the company, we were already bitters and soda fans. And now that we actually have a commercial product, what's really exciting is the more we share the product, the more we talk about bitters and soda, the more we find people who are already drinking it. Well, if I'm correct, it is unique in its class, isn't it? We like to think that it it very much is. Um, And, Pop, you talk about how much of a fan you are of bitters and soda. We knew that the folks like you were out there. We just didn't know how many of them there were. You know, it's, it's easy to kind of get caught up in a bubble and you think everyone is like you and you forget that maybe a lot of people aren't. Although in New York, we knew that the, the customer was there, that, that fan, that person that was already doing this. We failed to realize just how many folks out there have been doing bitters and soda at home or at the bar just by adding their favorite bitters into soda water for years, you know. So, yes, we are unique. Um, there's nothing quite like it out there. It's a dream of ours and has been a dream of ours for years now. If you kind of look at um, some of the larger trends that are happening in food and in beverage today, you'll see that people are actually gravitating towards occasions where they are um, consuming things that are kind of like cocktails, but don't necessarily have alcohol in them. And so we have kind of tagged along with a lot of people who are nicknaming this particular occasion uh, LONO, which stands for low alcohol or no alcohol drinking. And so our bitters and soda product is very much in line with a huge community of people who are interested in beverages that make them feel like they're enjoying um, or imbibing a cocktail, but aren't actually consuming any alcohol at all. Now, you have two choices. You have the dry version and the spritz. Um, tell us the difference between the two and what your thought process was in developing these different two products. The spritz was the result of 67 formulations. Wow. And that was the first formula we developed. We initially were going to launch with just one flavor, and that was the spritz. We got some really great advice pretty late in the game from a trusted source And they said that there was a real consumer interest in zero sugar. And we we knew this intrinsically. We hadn't really thought of how it might apply to our own story. But we took that same spritz formula, which is the flavor is aromatic and the variants are spritz and then dry. We took that same spritz formula and we essentially just removed all the sugar. So the flavor profiles of both of them are almost identical. The difference is one has about as much sugar as a premium tonic water, so quite a bit less than a Coca-Cola, but it has enough sugar to be delicious on its own. It has a beautiful bittersweet flavor profile. And then the dry uh, has zero sugar and only five calories. 
Um, and those five calories are just from the, the flavor that's in there. And the, the difference is one is a little bit sweet and the other is not sweet at all. And it's just bone dry and aromatic and bitter. The spritz is kind of like training wheels. <laughs> I think if you're kind of new to the idea of bitters and soda, we would probably pour you a taste of the spritz first because it has a little a little sugar and it's a little more approachable. It's closer to something you've tasted before. For an expert like you, Poppy, we would just tell you to drink the dry all day long. Gentlemen, where can my listeners find your delicious Hella products? Well, of course, it's available on Amazon. We're really excited that people can buy the product directly there. Uh, and you can also go to our website and purchase bitters and soda from the company itself. Well, congratulations, guys. And please come and visit us in New Orleans sometime soon. You have no doubt about that. <laughs> Thank you, Poppy. Thanks, Poppy. That was Eddie Simeon and Tobin Ludwig, two of the founders of Hella Cocktail Company in New York. Cause it's a bittersweet symphony that's live Trying to make ends meet your slave to money then you die That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats. Edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions and hear all about upcoming special events by visiting poppytooker.com. You can find videos, recipes, and even order cookbooks there. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Zatarans, and from Camellia Brand Beans. Additional support for Louisiana Eats is provided by the shreveport Bossier Convention and Tourist Bureau and from the Palace Cafe home of the Weekend Jazz Brunch, featuring a build-your-own-bloody-mary bar. Located in the historic Whirline Music Building on Canal Street, original theme music composed by David Pomerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner and special projects manager Reggie Morris and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Come visit us anytime in our Louisiana Eats studios at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. We're on Instagram and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. Mm-hmm.